Now, also, the dirty secret of the UK's plastic bag tax is, is that people are buying less bags because they have to buy what's known as a bag for life, which is more expensive, yeah. but it is thicker plastic. That's and right. The problem is, is they have not changed their behaviour enough and they are using bags for life in the way that they should have been using the old plastic bags. And because those ba bags are thicker, there is actually more plastic on the market in less bags. Yeah. So it's a bit of a double-edged sword that... Um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Big Time Sustainability. Big Time Sustainability is brought to you by Center for Big Synergy, and it is a United Nations Global Goals initiative. On this show, global leaders and changemakers tell us how they are combating major challenges like climate change, loss of biodiversity, hunger, poverty, inequality, and many more. Big Time Sustainability aims to inspire all of us to follow these leaders and act with urgency to create a more sustainable world. If you are a changemaker or know someone who is making a big difference in their community or globally and should be on this show, please email us at podcast at thebigsynergy.org or visit www.thebigsynergy.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Big Time Sustainability with your host, Dr. Ragini G. Roy. And today with us, we have the amazing Catherine Conway from Go Unpackage. Hello, Catherine. Welcome. Hi. Hi. How are Thanks you today? Me. I'm really good. Thank you. Oh, brilliant. So, Catherine, we can right away start today by asking you a very, you know, simple question, is it, that is, how did you start your journey as a sustainability champion and then go about with Go Unpackaged? So what's the history and what, what, what should we tell our global audience about your work and uh, what are you doing now? Okay, so I started, I guess I've always been interested in environmental and social issues. Um, when I left university, I thought I was going to work in NGOs, um, and actually I was sort of trying to find my way in my 20s. And I used to go to a local health food shop, so a small independent grocery, and I used to go and I used to refill as many of my products as I could, because even 20 years ago, I could see that there was a problem with the amount of uh, packaging we were putting out. So I used to go to this little health food shop and I could only refill a few things. I could refill my washing up liquid or my clothes washing liquid. And I just remember standing in the shop one day and saying, why isn't there a shop where everything is refillable, where I can right. bring my own packaging and refill all of my groceries? And because I was young in my early 20s and I didn't have any responsibilities, I thought, oh, well, why don't I try and set this up? And I'd worked in retail and I'd worked in hospitality, but I wasn't an expert. Um, and so through that idea, I got a small amount of funding. I set up a market stall to test the idea. And then that led to my first shop. Uh, so I, it was the first modern zero waste store. So the idea where everything is packaging free and um, customers bring their own containers to refill. And then I have been doing that for the last 17 years. So <laughs> we started as something called Unpackaged, which was very much a, a zero waste store. We've just rebranded into Go Unpackaged with my two colleagues, uh, Helen and Rob. 
And now we work much more as consultants. So we work with big retailers, big brands to try and get them to transition from single use packaging to reusable packaging in many different formats uh, with the idea that if we do that, we can help them meet their obligations to reduce uh, plastic and packaging waste. And um, with Go Unpackaged, I see that you have a quite a message about that, that we are facing a global waste and resource crisis and we cannot recycle our way out of it. So what is this mantra all about? So this is about the fact that we take very valuable resources and we turn them into short life products such as packaging uh, and then we we get rid of it. So in the UK, in practice, that means that we mainly um, recycle and incinerate and in a lot of other countries too. And yes. we, also, we also export a lot of this waste. So to take a step back, when you talk about waste, we talk about something called the waste hierarchy. And this shows what we should be doing with waste from the best things to the worst things. And really, your first thing should be reduction. So how do we stop the waste becoming waste in the first place? Then how do we reuse? So that's the circular economy. How do we keep resources in circulation for as long as possible? And only then should we be thinking about recycling. And only with things that you can't recycle should you be thinking about incineration, which they call energy from waste, because we do yeah. generate electricity from it. And then only then should you think about landfilling. Now, the problem is, is our entire... Uh, industry in the UK, if we're talking about grocery, hospitality, um, food to go, it's all based on a single use packaging supply chain. So yeah. everything is single use, whether it's the consumer pack, the cardboard box it's in, the, the, the transit packaging that it's on, and it all just goes one way. So it goes from manufacturer yeah. out to retailer to the consumer and then ends up in this end of life. And we just can't keep doing it. We're consuming more resources than we have, uh, certainly in the West. We have a lot of uh, countries in the global South that are growing, grow developing middle classes, developing the same kind of habits of wanting to yes, consume. Yeah. And we just don't have enough resources to to uh, to be spending on on products that don't matter. You know, packaging. Yes, packaging fulfills a function. It needs to be fit for purpose. It needs to keep food safe. It needs to get um, food to customers in the way that it needs to be. But we can do all of those things with reusable packaging instead of single use packaging. And then if we were doing reusable packaging, we would keep those materials in circulation for as long as possible. So when you say reusable packaging, um, could you give some examples of uh, what yeah. packaging would work uh, considering for bigger grocery stores, uh, all the big brands, and even for the smaller ones? Yeah, for sure. So when we talk about packaging, we tend to use uh, a framework developed by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation about refill and reuse. So refill can be anything uh, like bringing your own container down to a, um, a store and filling up, or it could be receiving your goods in some sort of pouch that comes to your house. You empty it into a container that you keep at home and then you send the pouch back and the pouch gets recleaned and comes back out. Those That tends to be sort of packaging that's more kind of owned by the consumer. Then you've got kind of reuse and returnables, which is more where you pay to have access to packaging. So, for example, if you go to a large event these days, 
you quite often get your um, alcoholic drink or your soft drink in a reusable cup. And you might pay a deposit on that cup or you might just borrow the cup and give it back. So those are more systems where the company owns the, uh, the packaging and you're paying a deposit. Now, we've all in all of our different cultures, we've all got. So in the UK, we used to have a milkman that used to bring milk in glass bottles and leave it on uh, people's household doorsteps. You know, in Mexico, you've got um, beer bottles that have a deposit on them that go back. You know, we all in Europe, you've got um, all the Coca-Cola brands used to come in glass bottles with the deposit. So we've all got a history of this reusable packaging. Uh, and oh, in, um, you know, obviously India with the um, the Tiffin box scheme, you know, where they're... Yeah. Exactly. So we've all got versions of reusable packaging and it works in different markets. What we're now saying is, is that reusable packaging is a direct solution to how we reduce the amount of single use uh, packaging waste and plastic packaging waste that we're putting onto the market. Sure. And do you think this would work for the smaller vendors, uh, for example, shops down the road? Would they be able to take up such a practice in the long yeah. run? Yeah, of course. I think the the benefit you always have of being a smaller shop is you can move a lot faster uh, because you don't you're not encumbered like a big business is. And also a lot of those small shops tend to be very um, staff focused. So customer service is a big part of what you get by going to a small shop rather than a big supermarket. And the, the customer service element actually helps to manage some of these systems. So, yes, they can certainly take them up. The challenge if you're a small business is, is you just can't get to scale and get to big pieces of infrastructure so that's why the, the work we're doing with the refill coalition we're asking the big retailers and the big brands to develop it and create the infrastructure but then you have to ensure that the smaller vendors have access to the same systems whether it's washing logistics uh, equipment things like that so as long as the smaller players have access to those systems then i think they're probably best developed by bigger businesses because then they can really invest in in big infrastructure projects Sure. So, Catherine, um, just going back to what you said, um, because um, I've been uh, reading around and, and investigating certain the the ten p plastic um, bag scheme that the government rolled out, and it worked quite well with the bigger vendors. People have reduced their plastic take up uh, in in bigger supermarkets, but uh, because they have to pay now, and uh, people are bringing their own bags, but. What I have realized is as an organization that we see a less, a uh, lot more uh, of this being implemented for the smaller vendors, the next door shop uh, down the road, they are still giving out plastic. Although um, we do see that there is a fine for such an action uh, by the councils, but I don't know how much of that could is being implemented. Um, so we still see, if you go out shopping, you still see smaller vendors giving out plastic bags, which is quite heartbreaking because now that we know what plastic is doing to us, we still see that single-use plastic bag being given. So the smaller vendors have not been so much so integrated in this scheme and they have been left out. And uh, the bigger vendors, they have do they're doing well. More needs to be done. But, you know, is there a solution that we can... Well, there's two interesting facts about that. So the first one is, is when that plastic bag tax first came in, the smaller vendors were exempt because uh, in the UK, particularly our, our conservative government doesn't like anything to do with what it considers to be red tape or regulation on business. 
And so the smaller vendors were exempted from it. But in actual fact, when the ban came out, a lot of the associations that represented those smaller vendors said, don't exempt us from it. We don't want to be exempt from it because we're perfectly capable of managing, you know, in the same way as the bigger ones. And actually, I just think the public is confused. I think they don't know what they should be doing in each of the retailers. Now, also, the dirty secret of the UK's plastic bag tax is, is that people are buying less bags because they have to buy what's known as a bag for life, which is more expensive, yeah. but it is thicker plastic. That's and right. The problem is, is they have not changed their behavior enough and they are using bags for life in the way that they should have been using the old plastic bags. And because those ba bags are thicker, there is actually more plastic on the market in less bags. Yeah. So it's a bit of a double-edged sword that... Um, wow. <laughs> and I think what it shows is, is that behaviour change is very difficult, but you've got to remember that supermarkets and brands have made a lot of money for a lot of years selling products to customers. They want to sell products to customers. They need to make their profits. They want to give them bags to take them home with because then people buy more. So the cut the the general public has had this marketed to them for the best part of 30 to 50 years to buy, 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 buy. It's cheap. Yeah. Don't worry about it. So that's what we have to change. We have to change. How do these businesses operate? How do they sell customers the products they need, but in a responsible way? And I think that's the, it's the huge piece of behavior change that we are trying to promote with part of our, um, with our, with our work. Um, and I think what, the public needs to see is really coordinated messaging. I think we should have messaging from government, um, you know, along the lines of so two very significant campaigns that we've had in the last 50, 60 years in the UK. One was about wearing seatbelts in cars and the other one was about not drinking alcohol and driving. Now, those are big, big public information campaigns. And I personally think we should be doing big public information campaigns about the switch to reuse. Um, and then people would start to understand it. It would become socially normalized. It would be if it was available in more retailers, it would just become part of people's habits. And we've seen with the pandemic, people are very capable of changing their habits yes. very quickly. Yeah when they feel personally affected the problem that we all have with you know whether it's um talking about climate change whether it's you know the wider kind of sdgs is people aren't if, if people aren't directly affected by it then they find it hard to change their behavior yes we'll yeah. all be focusing on that behavior change yeah they they, they they don't with covid we felt that it is it is coming for us so we need to change right away and exactly. with climate change, we still still don't think it is right there. So although we know what's happening around the world, but yeah, we, we think it's it's it is going to be there, but not yet. So I exactly. guess <laughs> I guess that complacence is still there. So uh Catherine, with the refill coalition, um, do you think how how is it going? Um I I do understand there could be some barriers that you're facing, um, hurdles down the line and um, how are the big retailers reacting to this entire um uh, you know practice of refill reuse are they are they all coming together um and joining you how, how is it well we have been running the refill coalition for three years and the background of the refill coalition is to try and drive a standardized solution that all of the retailers and brands can use that's actually open source so the idea is that everyone can use it. So if you imagine, uh, or if your listeners imagine uh, a, a, 
uh, any sort of in-store refill. So you take your own container and there is some sort of a hopper that sits on a shelf and you use a handle and you dispense the product into your own container, whether it's liquids or or, um, or dry goods like pasta or rice or things like that. So the way that that system currently works in stores is the store will get the product in and say a 25 kilo sack and physically empty it into the hopper and then you come and you refill from it and they keep emptying it. The problem is, is that's not really a circular solution because you're still using single use packaging. It's yeah. just it's coming in 25 kilo bulk. Um, so what we've done is we've recreated that hopper. So it's uh, it's fit for the supply chain. So if you imagine a, a rice manufacturer would fill straight into the hopper, it comes out through the supply chain, the staff just put it on the shelf, um, you come and refill from it. And then the thing goes back through the supply chain and gets washed and cleaned, uh, ready for sending out again. Now, it's a bit like the beer keg system that we have in, in bars and pubs in the UK. So it's, you know, a big standardized bulk container that anybody can use. So that's the that's the really key point. Mm -hmm. So it could go from Unilever through to a big supermarket like Tesco, and then it could go back and go back to um, P&G or Rekord Ben Kaiser, and then come back out to another big supermarket like Morrison's or something. So, and that could happen globally. So it could be used by anyone, you know, because supply chains are global. We get a lot of our products yeah. from Europe. So what we had to do is this system doesn't even didn't exist. So we created it as an idea as the, the Go Unpackage team. We got together a group of retailers to help develop it. And we spent the last three years developing it. And it was launched in Aldi um, in about a month ago. And uh, the initial uh, findings are that it's uh, really popular. There's been no downtime. So the, there's 100% availability of the product, which means the staff are managing it really well in store. And what we're trying to do now is get other retailers to use that system so that it can become a global standard in the same way right. something like a pallet is a global standard. So yeah. everybody uses the same equipment. Okay. And do you facilitate that? So do you uh, talk directly to PNG and uh, how they could uh, liaise with directly with yeah. Aldi? Uh, okay, brilliant. Yeah. That's great. But, okay. the, but the interesting thing is, is that we have developed this as an open source solution. So we worked with a group of equipment manufacturers who have made a modular piece of kit for this to work. Mm -hmm. But we as Go Unpackage, we don't own it. We didn't want to own it. We don't want the IP on it. And the reason we don't is because we think the fastest way to get to scale is to open source it. If yeah. I have to go, if I want to own it, which is a very traditional way of, of being a startup, um, you know, we're never going to get anywhere if I have to go and sell it to every single retailer and say, oh, no, you can't use the system unless you come through us. I just think traditional ways of, managing ip versus open source need to change if we're going to tackle some of these um these big problems you know similarly if you look at what happened in the pandemic the pharmaceutical companies had to work together to create solutions yeah. and i think when we're looking at the big problems of our age whether it's climate change uh, waste resources plastics um pandemics then actually businesses instead of competing are going to have to find a way to work together to create solutions. And actually, if they work together, they all benefit. Um, yes, um, I think collaboration is the way forward because I um, I come from a pharmaceutical 
um, healthcare background as well. It's a very regulated uh, area. And within that, we have seen that um, with, they have come together and collaborated through various models and they have been very successful. So it, if it can happen in pharma, it can happen in any other sector. So yes, you are perfectly on the ball, basically. Yeah, collaboration is the way forward and open source is, is just the, the thing to do because of course, imagine the small vendors and you are working with the big retailers. If, if it's not open source, how would the small vendors access your system? Because they don't have the budget or the skills that is needed to scale. Brilliant. Um, so yes, um, so so at the moment you're facing the barriers, you're inviting others to join. So that's what you are doing at the moment. So in terms of the legislation, uh, Catherine, uh, what do you think needs to change in terms of the UN Global Plastic Treaty, the PPWD, the UK legislation? Yeah, so we, you know, as I said, we we exist in a global supply chain. So we're going to have to harmonise regulation, whether it's the UK, Europe, despite Brexit, and the Global Plastic Treaty. So we see them all as sort of layers of the yeah. same uh, the same legislation. Really, the pr the problem we have right now is there is no legislation mandating reuse. So the companies that are doing it need to create a whole business case of why they should do it now whether that's because their customers are asking for it because they understand that reuse will actually help them manage kind of in a very volatile market when it comes to materials to make their packaging out of um or they or they want to do it from a sustainability perspective because their brand is particularly um in that in that sphere so if we had legislation that basically had mandatory quantitative time-bound reuse targets and reduction targets so you it always needs to be um waste and packaging reduction and then reuse being a solution within that otherwise if you're just adding in reuse you could just be adding in more reusable products into the market yep. and you're actually doubling your packaging so it's got to be focus on reduction increase in reuse now if we had that legislation like they do in france and, and other countries I have seen how it changes the discussions within industry and it goes from being, why should we do this to how are we going to make this happen? Because businesses, you know, they, they adapt. They know how to adapt. They've all adapted over many yeah. years to different incoming regulations, different market frameworks. So that's what we really need is that kind of legislation. And I think the legislation should be seen as an enabler. Because the thing with uh, reuse, because what you're talking about system change, so you're talking about system change from a linear to a circular model, which needs infrastructure, it needs standardization, it, nobody wins if they're the only person to do it. If Coke was the only person who solved reuse, they won't win because it will be too expensive for them to do by it themselves. You know, I always joke that... It's a bit like every big supermarket having their own recycling facility. It just wouldn't, you would never be able to afford to do it. So we need this whole shared infrastructure of logistics, cleaning, you know, moving this reusable packaging around in, a, in an efficient way. And right now, without the legislation, you've got a first mover disadvantage. So the first company that goes for it will be at a disadvantage because they know yeah. it needs to standardized shared infrastructure and it will just cost them more money than if somebody waited and then came in after them so really that legislation would actually provide a level playing field it would provide long-term planning uh perspective for companies because they would know the direction of travel with with what the legislation was doing 
And it's coming because governments don't have the money. They simply don't, whether they are your, well, any any government, you know, that your listeners are, are listening from, you know, whether it's a national level and a local level, we just don't have the resources, the, the financial resources to manage all of this waste. So it is coming. Uh, all governments are looking at what's called extended producer responsibility. So yeah. that is the idea that you as a company will pay for the impact of your product or your packaging or your service through to its end of life. So you can't just sell it and go, it's nothing to do with me. Um, you will actually have what's called a full cost recovery. So you will be um, forced to pay for the entire disposal of that that product. So this is all coming. And businesses that are thinking ahead that are resilient are thinking what does my business look like in that changed regulatory environment? And that's, I guess, what we help them do um, with our clients that go unpackaged. And do you think the consumers are ready for this change? Yes, they are, because I don't think this is just for rich consumers. I mean, it doesn't really matter who you are. Nobody wants to leave a worse world for their children or their grandchildren. Even if you don't have children and grandchildren, you can you can objectively see that it is not great to leave uh, to leave the world in a worse place. So I do think they're ready. I think the challenge we have at the minute is is that not enough reuse is available to them, and so they just don't know about it. You know, in the UK, you would have to be of a certain age and of a certain culture to even remember what it was like to have a milkman come to your house. You know, yes. you've got to be older than I am in your fifties to remember that. Um, so loads of people just don't even know what reuse means. But if you look at, you know, how, for example, uh, big events have changed, you know, nobody's there screaming with anger because they can't have their beer in a paper cup. They just go, oh, right, all right, I have to have it in this plastic cup and, okay, I've paid a deposit or I'll give it back at the end. They just, they fall into line with it, you know. So yeah. I think we need to be a bit bolder and trust that consumers will be okay with doing things differently if we can show them why it's better for them. But the really interesting bit about it, um, the, uh, a lot of this comes down to my, my colleague Rob, who does this modelling, is actually... You can, if you do, if you take the packaging off and you redesign products, you can actually make them more efficient. So if you think, I haven't got a bottle with me, but if you think of the shape of a bottle with the neck of a bottle and you think of 24 of those bottles in a box, you've actually potentially got about 20% air in that box, which actually makes it very, very inefficient. Now, if you're a big retailer, you know, you're transporting billions of these boxes with 20% air in them around your, your logistics network. Now, if you can redesign that packaging in reusable packaging and make the packaging more efficient to fit in your boxes, to fit mm -hmm. on your pallets, to fit in your vans, then if you were to take 20% or if you were to be able to transport 20% more product per lorry, I mean, you would save yourselves millions of pounds of money and you'd be able to save millions of pounds of, uh, sorry, um, a huge amount of uh, carbon dioxide from yeah. all of the the ad additional emissions from those lorries. So there is a huge commercial advantage to reusable packaging if it's done well, if it's done at scale. It can actually compete and be cheaper. Now, if you think of the cost of living crisis that many, many um, countries are suffering right now, if we could tell customers that you could get your products five or 10% cheaper, just you've got to use this reusable packaging or you've got to bring your own packaging down to the shop, I can imagine that a lot of customers would actually be really interested in that because that would be a significant saving for them. 
Yes, yeah. Sometimes customers are um, adapting to the new changes, like bringing your own bag. And um, some people are doing really well. Some people are, you know, they're learning as they go back. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we are uh, seeing this behavioral change very much so. And, and with the changing environment, we all have to do it. So yeah, we I think we all are on the right track. We I think we have to just pace it up. I guess yeah, <laughs> that's I, I would agree. We have to move a lot faster. <laughs> yes. So uh, how does the future look uh, like at the moment with the going package and um, as we are racing towards the UN twenty thirty uh, goals and trying to achieve those? Uh, what are your plans? So our plans are to carry on doing the work that we're doing with the Refill Coalition. So we want to start working with retailers in other markets, so uh, different markets in Europe, um, globally as well, to try and drive adoption of this uh, solution more widely. Um, I think as Go On Package, we will continue to try and do these big kind of collaborative projects. So I think previously we used to work with individual retailers, individual brands, and we used to do trials with them. And I think everybody has come to the realization that those individual trials are never going to lead to system change. And actually you need whole sectors to come to come together. So you need the dairy industry to come together to solve milk packaging. You might need the frozen food sector to come together to solve another challenge. So I think what we as Go Unpackaged are really good at is how do we bring these previously competitive businesses together and help them see that by working together, they can actually all achieve their aims. So we will continue to do that. And I think our our business will always have one foot in the commercial. So actually trying to make things happen, create real change for customers. And then one foot in more of the policy and the research and working with governments on what the supportive regulation needs to be and trying to help shape that because the two feed into each other. Oh, brilliant. Uh, the future looks amazing for you and we all want to be benefited from your work. So um, all the best for everything. And um, I hope we together we all can make this happen and uh, make uh, the UN 2030 goal a success and have a much uh, circular economy with a brighter future and um, and a world that we all deserve to be in. Me so thank too, you so me much. too. Thanks thank for you having so much, me. Catherine. And uh, I wish you all the best and uh, look forward to many more amazing and great, uh, you know, announcements for Go Unpackaged. Thank Take you care. so much. Thank, thank you. you for joining us on this edition of Big Time Sustainability. Please share, subscribe and join us again next time. If you are a changemaker or know someone who is making a big difference in their community or globally and should be on this show, please email us at podcast at thebigsynergy.org or visit www.thebigsynergy.org.